There are eight teams left. What leads to winning now in the NBA? And what can the Utah Jazz learn as they build back up? Next on Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and this is Locked On Jazz. Today, we will look at the eight remaining teams, their statistical profiles, their four factors, both offensively and defensively, whether or not and how they defended the rim, threes, where they took their shots, to see what it means and what trends we can learn as the Utah Jazz try to build a roster to become one of these eight teams again. Grady Dick out of Kansas fluctuates anywhere from 10 to 20 on draft boards. I took a look at him against Baylor and Arkansas, and I'll share my thoughts with you on that. And thoughts on the weekend, the teams remaining, and we'll do our daily lottery. We have one week day that always makes us happy. And I am, as I mentioned, David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, Locked on Jazz, give you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thank you very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all podcasting apps, as well as on YouTube. Subscribe, follow. Hit the bell button on YouTube so you get notified every time we do a show. And thank you very much. And thanks to all the everydayers or become an everydayer with everyone out there as we're here for you each and every day. So I looked and took the time. And today's show, by the way, oh yeah, that's probably the next thing I should mention. Today's show is brought to you by Price Picks. Price Picks, 100% deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on to get into your fun fantasy, daily fantasy with prize picks. All right, so here's what I've done. So let me back up. Here's my premise. I've always thought you should build your team to be at this point. Trying to win a championship feels like it's virtually impossible and a million things have to go your way. And the second thing is you just try to see if you can get yourself to uh, be able to get into this Final Four, and then, frankly, Jimmy Butler sprains an ankle, and the Knicks are in the, maybe in the Eastern Conference Finals, and then you get a good matchup and you win, or however it works. I mean, you're just, you're an ankle turn, you're ball bouncing, you're three-point variance away from getting either to the Conference Finals or the Finals. So I like to look at all of these teams right now. I went through their offensive rating, their defensive rating, their four factors, which is shooting, turnovers, rebounding, and free throw rate. Then I went and looked at their shot distribution. Do they get to the rim? Do they shoot threes? Then also, do they defend the rim? Do they defend threes? Half-court offense, half-court defense, and how important is transition? So the first takeaway, not widely stunning, but offense is super important. Now, it's actually, this is worth noting because when the years, as the year progressed, I began to think defense was becoming more important than ever before. Because the offense was erupting to such a level that good defensive teams were really going to matter. Turns out that four of the top five offensive teams in the league are still left. And Sacramento, who lost to the Warriors, is the one that's out. And the Warriors are pretty good offensively. So, 
Number one offense in the league is the Kings. Number two is the Knicks. Number three is the 76ers. Number four is the Celtics. Number five is the Nuggets. Number eight is the Warriors. The outlier here is Miami. Miami is on a three-point shooting binge right now. If you recall, two years ago, Miami was the number one three-point shooting team in the league. And then this year, for the entire season, they couldn't shoot threes. And now, all of a sudden, they're making every three imaginable. Um... And it makes you, it, it reminds you, I think, how much th- shooting variance, three-point shooting variance matters. Uh, Miami, so far in the playoffs, is making 41% of their threes. In the regular season this year, the same group of players was ranked near the bottom of the league in three-point shooting, 27th at 34.5%. And the year prior when they were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, they were ranked as the number one offensive three-point shooting team at 39%. So they're all over the map. But their basically bad three-point shooting year is what kept them down as the 22nd ranked offensive team. And they've certainly been 25th ranked offensive team. They've certainly been anything but. Phoenix is 17th. Lakers are 20th. So four of the top five teams in offensive rating are still alive. And the one that got knocked out is 8th. And then the teams that actually, you know, it's the teams that got upset in Memphis and Milwaukee were not particularly good offensively. In fact, Milwaukee struggled all year offensively, and then Miami gets hot from three and they lose. Um, so that's kind of worth keeping an eye on. Only one of the top five defensive teams is still alive. That's the Boston Celtics. Three, four of the top ten. Okay, so it, it matters. Heat are 7th, 76ers are 10th, Suns are 9th, but not like, not like, only one of the top six defensive teams is still with us. The other one is that every single one of these teams, other than Miami, does something elite offensively. So the Warriors are the third best shooting team, the Lakers are the third best team at getting the line, the Nuggets are the number one shooting team, the Suns are the are the sixth best offensive rebounding team. Celtics are the fifth best shooting team. Sixers are the number one free throw rate team. Knicks are the fifth best team at taking care of the ball and second best team in the league at getting offensive rebounds. It's not clear what you have to do, but you have to do one of your four factors on an elite level on the offensive end. It preferably you shoot it. Three of the top five teams remaining are good shooting teams. Three of the top, or three of the top, three of the eight teams remaining are top five shooting teams. So, yeah, offense really matters. Like, as you're looking at the draft and you're looking, well, we can teach them how to shoot. Ah, let's, let's see if we can find guys that can. The only elite shooting teams that are not in it anymore are Sacramento, the number two shooting team in the league, who lost the number three shooting team in the league. Dallas, who just defied all logic this year. And then Brooklyn, the sixth best shooting team, lost to the seventh best shooting team. And Minnesota, the eighth best shooting team, lost to the number one shooting team in Denver. The Knicks are not a great shooting team. They do these other two things well. And yet they defeated Cleveland. On the defensive end, two of the top five defenses are still left. Boston and Phoenix. 
five of the top 10 are still around. Only the Nuggets at 14, the Sixers at 12, and the Heat at 25th, they all could be gone, by the way, are, were not top 10 defensive teams. So five of the top 10 defensive teams, five of the uh, defensive, excuse me, not defensive rated teams, defensive effective field goal percentage teams against the shot. That was against the shot. Defensive effective field goal percentage. So Celtics are third best team in the league against the shot. Suns are fifth best. Lakers sixth best. They were the number one team post trades. Knicks are seventh best. Warriors are 10th. Lakers are elite in three of the four four factors. Nuggets are elite in two of the four defensive four factors. Suns in two. Celtics in three. Sixers in none. Knicks in one shooting. And Heat in three. So that's interesting that the Heat, who are not a very good team against the shot, are the fourth best team enforcing turnovers, defensive rebounding, fourth best, and seventh best at not fouling. What's really interesting, though, is one of the things that, and this is probably a good sign for the change Will Hardy made and with Walker Kessler, forcing turnovers does not seem to be important. The average rank of the eight teams remaining is 18th in turnovers. The Lakers are 28th, the Celtics are 26th, the Knicks are 25th, the Nuggets are 18th, the Warriors are 17th. So not only are five of the eight teams are below average, the overall rating is 18th, only one is in the top five at forcing turnovers, Miami. Only one other is in the top 10, Phoenix. Two of them are in the top 10. So forcing turnovers would be the one real number here that says that's not that important. The next one that's super interesting that isn't seen to be very important is getting to the rim. Now, the Lakers are the second best team in the NBA getting to the rim. So that's, that shows that there's some value. And the Nuggets are the sixth best team. But that's it. No other top 10 rim team is still left. In fact, the Warriors are 29th at going to the rim. The Suns are 30th. The Celtics are 25th and the Heat are 28th. So there's actually four of the bottom six teams in the league at taking shots at the rim are still alive in the playoffs. Better be able to shoot it. Not just get to the rim. We talked about this last year, that the teams that make the playoffs are the ones that deny the rim, but the teams that make the playoffs don't shoot at the rim. That's still somewhat true here. All right, we'll get into shot location, importance of half-court offense and half-court defense, and an interesting little find on transition defense as we continue. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross and also in Logan. The Chevy lineup of trucks is just awesome. It's led off by the Silverado, which is the king poobah of awesome trucks. When I drove it, felt like I was just bigger in the world, sitting back in a lazy boy chair and just had every bell and every whistle I could imagine with the incredible Chevy build of the Unibuild that is the Silverado and it looks so sweet. It is truck season right now, 0% APR for well-qualified buyers or $3,750 total value uh, allowance, cash allowance back and the rest on the trucks. The Colorado is the smaller one. It comes a little zippier. Does your day-to-day use there for you. The 
2023 Sil- Chevy Silverado. It's been souped up. Looks absolutely fabulous. Comes in around $40,000 for a brand new truck. Plus, the SUV lineup is outstanding. If you're going to head over to Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross or located in Logan, please let me know. We'll set you up with the locked-on VIP meeting that every one of you every dayers deserves and make sure that you get uh, treated like you should as a locked-on listener. Over at Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross, also located in Logan. Today's show is also brought to you by Price Picks. 100% deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKDOWN. For your daily fantasy fun, it is Price Picks with every single sport available to you and everything that's going on right now. You just pick two to six players, take the over or the under on whatever number you are the performance. If it's Kayvon Looney, you just take the over on rebounding every game. Incredible. Uh, and you can get your, uh, you can win up to 25% of your entry. No competing against other people. It's you versus the projections. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy, safe and fast and easy withdrawals. Currently operational over 30 states and Canada. Download the PrizePix app. Go to prizepix.com and sign up and play your daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive 100% deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. Don't forget, promo code's locked on. Sign up. Get your instant deposit for $100 back. I did Locked On NBA today with Howard Beck, special edition Locked On NBA. We discussed the Steph Curry performance. We discussed the route forward for a bunch of the teams that lost. Um, Pretty interesting show. So if you get a chance, grab Locked On NBA today with the great Howard Beck, our Locked On NBA playoff and offseason insider on the Lockdown Podcast Network. All right, um, so let's continue with this. Kind of interesting. So our findings so far is that offense really, really matters. Forcing turnovers does not seem to matter. Getting to the rim does not seem to matter. How about shooting threes? So the Warriors take the most, and the Celtics take the second most, and the Heat take the ninth most. But the Lakers take the third fewest, and the Nuggets take the eighth fewest. So right in the middle of the pack, three of the, two of the top five teams are still left, three of the top ten. But nothing remarkable. And only two of the top ten teams that get to the rim. And even more interesting is all of the talk, and I've thought about this a lot, offensively about location-effective field goal percentage, does not seem to be particularly important. Now, I've always been the biggest believer in location-effective field goal percentage defensively. And Golden State is one, and Boston is three, and Miami is five, and Phoenix is seven, and the Lakers are nine. So four of the top ten teams in the NBA in location-effective field goal percentage are in there. I, I still believe strongly in this. Force people to take lowest percentage shots, and you're better off. Philadelphia is 14th. New York is 19th. Miami's funky, and they're fifth because they deny the rim but allow a lot of threes. So again, location-effective field goal percentage. Defense still seems to be super important. Offense, build the team to what you do well and getting to, you know, and where you can get your shots on a good shooting team. But location-effective field goal percentage, which means you're forcing the lowest percentage shots possible. Golden State was one. Boston was three. Miami's five. Phoenix is seven. Lakers are nine. The good news is the Jazz were six last year. And we were probably better than that once Walker started. I don't have that, I don't think. 
Oh, I can quickly look at this. This Will made an adjustment during the year, and he made the right adjustment. He started denying the rim and allowing threes. That that actually, you'll see, seems to be the right answer. After January 1st, we were the fifth best team in the league in defensive shot location. So great to see. Rim defense, denying shots at the rim. Warriors are best. Celtics are second. Heat are fifth. Lakers are eighth. So four of the top 10 teams in denying you to get to the rim are still alive. But here's the biggest finding. And the implication of this on the league is wild. Denying the three is irrelevant. Only one of the top 10 teams in the NBA that are left, that deny the three are left in the playoffs, none of the top five. The Phoenix Suns are the seventh best team in the league at denying the three. Moreover than that, the Phoenix Suns are the only team above average at denying the three that are still playing. This suddenly means that I think teams are going to like do not allow the three and we defensively, and we're going to see just another run of three-point shots on the league, and we're going to see even wider variants. So Miami allows the second most amount of threes in the game. The Knicks allow the fourth most. The Lakers allow the ninth most. The Warriors allow the 10th most. The 76ers allow the 11th most. The Nuggets allow the 13th most. And the Celtics allow the 15th most. Seven of the eight teams that are left playing today are below average in defending and denying the three. But are good at shot location defense. So here are the quick takeaways so far. Offense really matters. Five of the four of the top five teams in offense are still playing. The only one knocked out Sacramento. Be elite at something. One of your four factors, you've got to be elite. Probably two defensively. Getting to the rim does not seem to be that important offensively. Shooting does. And denying the three does not seem to be that important defensively. Last things I looked at were half-court offense, half-court defense, and how often were teams in transition. Because all we ever hear about is transition. So we have two of the top five half-court offenses left, Boston and Philadelphia. And the Warriors and the Nuggets are top 10. And the Heat and the Knicks are 11th. And defensively, we have one of the top five half-court defenses left. That's surprising. I really thought half-court defense would show to be way more important. In fact, we only have two of the top 10 half-court defenses left. The Suns are 5th and the Lakers are ninth. The Warriors were 18th, the Nuggets were 15th, the Celtics 11th, the Sixers were 12th, the Knicks were 20th, the Heat were 16th. And the other one is that none of these teams run. None of these teams run. The Lakers are seventh most common in transition. The Nuggets are ninth most common in transition. Otherwise, none of the other teams are above average in transition. So only two of the eight teams are above league average in getting in transition. Only one of the eight teams are above league average in denying the three. 
doesn't mean you shouldn't try to run. It just means all the run talk is overblown. I've always thought this. It's so few possessions. Denying the three seems to be relatively important. The Nuggets and Celtics are in the top five, and the Knicks are in the top nine, and the Warriors and Suns are average. So let me wrap this up. Here are the takeaways. Offense truly matters. Four of the top five, five of the top ten still left. Be a lead at something. Forcing turnovers does not seem to be something you should be a lead at. Only one of the top ten turnover forcing teams is still alive, or two of the top ten, and only three of the eight teams are above average. Did not Getting to the rim offensively does not seem to be a must. Shooting does. Denying the rim does, ironically enough. We talked about that a lot. And then the final two takeaways. Deny the rim and allow the three. Seems to be an issue. And transition is not as... It matters because those are easy buckets. So I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but... You're not winning your way through in transition. Okay? Um, That's kind of my analysis on that. Hope you found that interesting. All right, I watched Grady Dick of Kansas, and I've got some weekend thoughts for you. So we'll do both of those when we continue here on Locked on Jazz. So Grady Dick's a six foot seven. Wing player out of Kansas. I watched him against Arkansas, and I watched him against Baylor. I mean, if I'm really honest, watching him against Arkansas was painful. He they didn't. He just ran to the corner all day and didn't do a lot, and it was just a little stunning. Um, there's some really overall big picture on him. The positives are he, he plays. He has great effort. Efforts a skill. He moves to the right spot of the floor. He seems to play well with his teammates, so it felt to me that the teammates involved him much less against Arkansas than they did early in the year against Baylor. He's, he's aggressive. He crashes the offensive glass. He's pretty active on the rebounding side of things. He's very, very slight in his build. I don't know what they have him listed at, but he's a small whatever he is. And he gets dislodged a lot. Now, that should change as he gets older and bigger but he got dislodged a lot. And driving to the basket, 6'8", 195 is what they have him listed as. He got the ball knocked out of his hands a lot. So strength is a real issue for him. Um, he does, I think I mentioned this, moves to the right spot. He has the weirdest habit. And quite honestly, it really bothers me because I can't figure out why he's doing it and what's going on with it. And I have to think it will impact him. And this is so strange. But he reaches down and touches the bottom of his shoes while standing. So he bends his leg backwards and rubs his hand on the back of his shoe. And he does it three to five times a defensive possession. And then you almost see him on the offensive side with like a nervous twitch of it happening. It's super strange. Like, honestly, this sounds probably sounds absurd, but as a scout of a player who I'm about to invest in, I would like to understand what this is. I would like to talk to a sports psychologist. I would like to talk to, like, it's a nervous 
Twitch that I don't think he's even aware of. And I don't know what that means for like your future mental strength playing in a high pressure situation like the NBA. But I think it's really weird. I'm, I mean, I'm talking three to four times a defensive possession, almost every defensive possession, and a lot of offensive possession. He reaches down and touches the bottom of his shoe. He also will occasionally get caught doing it while he needs to move somewhere. His shooting is a very high release, which is great. At 6'8", he's going to be always able to get that off. Kind of Kyle Korver-esque, actually, but not that, I mean, obviously... The only question I have on that, and I don't know enough about shooting, I'd have to talk to Ron Boone, is whether or not that shot expands out to three, right? Because the college number is, is far shorter um, than you're going to see on a on the NBA that, that's deeper. So little activity for him, like so little for me to be able to tell. But there was like the one play that like you'll see that I saw that like you'll remember against Baylor. They ran him off an NBA action, which is a double flare, like the one uh, Terry Stotts ran for CJ McCollum all the time. We ran a variation for our guys this year. And he catches and he lets it fly immediately and he buries it. Like it's pretty. Catches, high ball, high release, and nails it. Um and that's that's interesting. Against Arkansas. They got really physical with him as the game went on, and he seemed to withdraw a bit. Kansas withdrew as well and ended up losing that game. It was a terrible game. Um, But as they got more physical with him, Anthony Black had him for a little while um, and things like that, he seemed to to withdraw a little bit. His teammates also, I did not think, got him the ball. They ran a lot. He ran to the corner, stood there. They ran a lot of action at the top, and he just never got involved. Um, he ran a few pick and rolls, but not much, and he's not beating guys off the dribble. There was no isolation, no one-on-one. I don't. I think we literally had in our numbers, there was no isolation. He doesn't seem to be beating guys off the dribble. He does, hey, he got a baseline drive to the basket for a layup where they, they left it open. He had a baseline drive where it closed, and he made a nice kick out. He makes the right play. He's in the right spots. He's thinking the game. You can tell that. Kansas switches a ton defensively, and so he ends up on every single different guy imaginable, including Biggs, and he's trying to front side him. He's trying. You can see he thinks the game while it's going on. Um, looking at my other notes, really like his one dribble off the bounce game. His one dribble off the bounce game into a quick high release is an NBA skill. Interesting to me is the question on Dick, because I think because he's white and slight, is whether or not he can defend, right? That Like, is he a good enough athlete? Like, that just happens, and then we make the opposite mistake because we never discuss that, right? There's a racial element to it, visual impacts. We got it. What I think is interesting, Kansas switches everything, so it's a little hard to tell. But he started the Kansas game guarding Anthony Black, and he started the Baylor game guarding Keontae George. If he was that terrible defensively, I don't think Kansas would open him defending those two guys. Those are the best players in the other team. Now they switch off it and he gets moved around and all that kind of stuff as the game goes on. But like it wasn't also like Arkansas and Baylor didn't just go isolate on the wing and just drive. Now that's not what happens as much in the college game. Uh, I will say you wonder whether or not 
watching him, this is, you know, a comp. His, his A very obvious comp for him is Kevin Herter of, of Sacramento, who I love, who could not play in this last series. And, and, and I love Kevin Herter. Like, they both go to the glass a lot. They're both good shooters. Herter's, I think, a little bit more skilled with the ball, though Grady Dick looks very comfortable with the ball. He just didn't make a lot of plays out of it, but he was comfortable. He always gave it up because that's the way Kansas works. And Herter had a really tough playoff series, so it was interesting to watch the, the, that kind of contrasting each other. And I love Kevin Herter. I think Kevin Herter is Kevin Herter is truly one of my most favorite players in the league, and I thought the reason why Sacramento was so good all year. So the other one I would just say on Grady Dick made some plays against Baylor. In the Arkansas game, Nick Smith, Anthony Black, and Grady Dick are all on the floor. They're all supposed to be NBA players. I didn't see one like, oh, that's an NBA player moment. Not a one. Nothing bounded off the screen. In fact, there were two guys in Arkansas that had better days, somebody Davis um, and, and one others that, that kind of actually made you think that they actually like look like the best players on the floor. And I like my NBA players to bound off the screen like if obvious. Keontae George had a few of those moments in the Baylor-Kansas game. And Grady Dick had a few, one or two, but just he doesn't get a lot of chances. So my overall consensus is that shot release is really interesting. It's high. I'd have to know more to know whether or not it can translate to the NBA. He is His build is slight. He gets dislodged. When they get physical, he begins to have a hard time. He, I just don't think he's anywhere ready because of that. Um, he gets dislodged. He gets pushed off his mark. I do love his energy. I do love his effort. I do love his smarts. I do like the way like he's crashing the glass. He's playing hard. He's taking every possession seriously. That matters. The one dribble off the bounce game is real and an NBA skill. Um, he's not going to the rack in the NBA. So he's going to take a dribble off closeouts and attack it. Um, and he seemed to be a good enough passer. Um, and then there's the weird rubbing at the bottom of the shoes thing. I, I, it might just be a weird tick, but I want to know why. Call me strange, but I would really want to know why. All right, uh, quick thought last night. You know, Steph's amazing. Um, uh, you know, Duncan and Steph to me are the last 30 years of the NBA and we have all these other characters and Kyrie and all this other stuff and LeBron deserves credit in here too. I just wonder why, why, why people haven't realized like Steph and Duncan are the models. They're the consummate teammates. They're the consummate competitors. They're not flashy. They get it done. The speech... At, at shoot-around, either, if you don't want to be a part of this, don't get on the bus to Sacramento speech that evidently Steph gave his all-time. The guy's just incredible. He's just truly, truly awesome and incredible. Um, quick other thoughts. Offensive rebound and three-point variance is the story of the playoffs. We still continue to see just, I mean, offensive rebound and Kayvon Looney, right? Like, they had 38% of their misses they grabbed the other night. Um, we'll see if the Knicks can take advantage. They had a better offensive rebounding day, but the better offensive rebounding team is winning almost every game. Denver had 39% of their misses they got back against Phoenix the other night. Sacramento in their win the other night against Golden State had 38% of their misses they got back. Boston and Atlanta were even. So the Knicks, when they beat Cleveland on the final game of that series, got 47% of their misses back. Crazy numbers. And then three-point variance is dictating an awful lot. Phoenix does not look right to me. We'll see. Boston-Philadelphia may be a preview of the NBA Finals. Uh, more with Howard Beck on all of that. 
So go grab it. Tomorrow on the show, we'll look at Jazz bench players and which ones are going to be uh, pieces for the future. Let's go to our lottery. The Jazz are ninth. They'll hold it 16th. They'll hold it 28th. And here we go. One out of five days a week, we get happiness. Today, Charlotte. We should start keeping track of when we go nine, when we go 10. Charlotte gets the number one pick of the draft. Victor Webanyama is the goes to Charlotte. Houston, second pick. San Antonio, third. Fourth pick to Detroit. Drops three spots. And otherwise, no movement. Portland, five. Orlando, six. Indiana, seven. Washington, eight. Utah, nine. Dallas keeps their pick at 10. Chicago goes to Orlando at 11. Oklahoma City, Toronto, and New Orleans. That was a boring lottery. That is Locked on Jazz. Hopefully not a boring show. Hopefully somewhat interesting. Thanks so much to the everydayers who are all a part of this. Make sure you shout yourself out on YouTube and be a part of the group. It is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. The Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.